Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Amen. All right, you can take your seats. If there's someone single next to you this morning, come on. Get a phone number in Jesus' name. Do not delay. Just do not slay. All right, can we get an amen? I'm preaching off a stool. This is a great sample of a stool. You could say it's a great stool sample, but we're not going to go there this morning because we're not in youth ministry. We're in a church. We're supposed to behave ourselves. And so, all right, all right. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open up with me to John chapter 21. And um, I'm one of those guys, I'm one of those predictable preachers where, you know, I'm going to call every passage of Scripture my favorite passage of Scripture because I think the more I study it, the more I dive into it, the more God just starts to illuminate wonderful things to me from it. And I pray your journey is the same as well. And, and so John chapter 21, we're going to read a little bit from that this morning. And so uh, if you've got your Bibles, your iPads, your iPhones, whatever it is you're using today, I'm rolling old school. And so here we go. John chapter 21, uh, we're going to pick up in verse 4. And it says, uh, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered, No. And he said to them, Well, cast your net on the other side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it now, and they're not able to haul it in because the quantity of fish was so large. It says, That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Peter heard that it was the Lord, it says he put on his outer garment for he had stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. It says the, the other disciples came in by the boat dragging the net full of fish and when they were not too far from the land but they're about a hundred yards off. And it says when they got on the land they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it. I'm holding my Bible and standing weird because I'm trying to read with my 40 year old eyes. <laughs> I'm too vain to get glasses, I'll be honest with you. It's just not going to happen. My wife's like, you can't see anything. I'm like, I know, because this morning on the way here, I literally drove up a one-lane road. Like, all, all these people are flashing. I'm like, why are these fools flashing at me? I'm like, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm on a one-way street, aren't I? Yeah. And so I had to turn around, and one guy, like, gave me the universal sign of displeasure. You know what that is? Flip me the bird. Did I just flip the bird? I flipped the bird in church. I'm sorry. I just lifted my finger, you know. I'm 40. I'm getting arthritis as well. Bear with me. That's it. Where the heck am I even up to? All right. It says they brought 153 fish. That's, that's significant. We're not going to talk about this morning. It says um, there were so many fish that the net did not tear. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Who loves a bit of breakfast? Especially if you eat at Nemesis. Can I get an amen? Oh, dang, that's good food. I had the breakfast sando this morning. So, you know, if I burp halfway through the message, you know, it's good. So... Middle Eastern culture, that's a compliment, by the way. Uh, it says, uh, all right, here we go. So anyway, th they came ashore, motored down with me to verse 18. It says, it says, when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. He said, well, we'll feed my lambs. And then he said to him a second time, Simon, do you love me? And Simon said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, we'll feed my sheep or tend my sheep. Verse 17, it says, and then a third time, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he'd asked him a third time. He said, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he said, well, feed my sheep. 
This story is, is, is known in church circles, in church world, as the reinstatement or the reinstallment of, of, of Peter. And it's an incredibly important story that's worthy of consideration this morning because there's so many great parallels, really, to your life and to my life today. You see, Peter was one of the original disciples chosen by Jesus. And when Peter was chosen by Jesus, he was just minding his own business as a small business owner, he had a boat. He was a fisherman on the Sea of Tiberias is where he would fish. It was also known as the Sea of Galilee. He'd be out there and he'd be out there all night casting net on either side of the boat, just trying to um, subsist and to make a little bit of money on whatever surplus came from the fishing that night. And we see early on in the Gospels, throughout all the Gospels, Jesus shows up in Peter's world and Jesus is speaking. And already before he had drawn uh, a, a small tight-knit following, there was a body of people that followed Jesus around. And Jesus found himself kind of encumbered by people all around him and decided, well, I'm not going to be able to adequately communicate in this moment what I need to communicate. So he jumps in the boat and he puts out a little deeper in the water because we know that sound carries really well over water. And so Jesus, we know, needed to amplify his voice because of the magnitude of people that were following him. Sometimes as Christians, we can look at our culture and think, well, there's not too many followers of Jesus around me these days. But I want to let you know there's, there's a greater number of people that have bowed the proverbial knee to Jesus than we even think in our city today. There's more people that we believe. Our culture will try and tell us that we're existing on the fringes, that we're not relevant, that we have nothing to say. But never, ever, ever has it been a greater time for the church to stand up and to amplify its voice and to not speak against culture, but speak to culture because we'll never be irrelevant, because God will never be irrelevant. There's a lot of irrelevant things we do, Pastor Justin, as you know. Just got to look at a few churches around to see there's some irrelevant things that aren't scratching where culture's itching, but I don't sense that's this church in Jesus' name. So Jesus calls Peter. He says, hey, Peter, cast out. We're going deeper. Throw your net on the other side. And Peter says, well, you know, I've been fishing all night. It's, it's, it's not going to happen, Jesus. He says, but nevertheless, at your word. And so he throws the net on the other side and he pulls it up. And the thing is, so, so I mean, so encumbered with fish, the net starts to break. This is the call of Peter. As if to say, Peter, you've been fishing on your own, under your own strength and with your own wherewithal for years. And look what happens when I give you more than your stuff starts to break and waste. And it's almost like there's this, there's this parallel when, 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 when Jesus restores Peter, there's the net that goes out on the other side and Peter pulls it up and the net doesn't break as if to say I've brought you somewhere from where I found you Peter I don't know about you but I'm thankful that Jesus didn't just find me but that he's taken me on a journey that he's brought me from strength to strength and from glory to glory and I want to encourage you today that's what Jesus wants to do with your life he doesn't want to just pick you up out of your challenge right now and leave you there he wants to take you on a journey of growth and so that's exactly what happened to Peter but somewhere in the midst of that, in all of Peter's growing, in all of Peter's learning, in all of Peter's um, following of Jesus, he had this moment of brokenness. Many of you know the story. Jesus had been tried in this monkey court. They called the Sanhedrin. And Peter was there and he's off to the, off to the fringes of, um, of this trial as it's happening. And, and a little, the Bible says, a little servant girl in the temple comes to Peter and Peter's kind of just hiding back here. Jesus had been arrested. He's facing trial and execution. And 
this little girl kind of steps in close to Peter and says, aren't you with Jesus? Like, aren't you one of the, and he says, no, no, that's not me. That's not me. Then this little girl comes back again and says, says, hey, I swore I saw you the other day with, with, with Jesus. Once again, the Adam's paraphrased version of the text. Are you with me? It's easier to tell a story than to read chapters, right? Right? In the time that I got left. And so, and, and so a third time rolls around. This woman, she, this little girl, this, this little, little, little servant girl kind of says to Peter, Peter I, I, I swear it was you with Jesus. And at this point, if you read the original Hebrew and Aramaic, it says that Peter kind of cussed her out. He swore her. He told her to go somewhere else other than there. Then the rooster crows and Peter realizes, oh, I remember when Jesus told, told me I was, I had that moment with Jesus where Jesus says, Peter, who do, who do you all say that I am? Another conversation. Jesus is like, I know what everybody else out in the blogosphere is saying about who I am, but who do you say that I am? In other words, I can deal with the external indifference of opinion but what I need to know disciples Peter is who do you say that I am and Peter says Jesus you are the Messiah you're the son of the living God and this is Peter's big moment chest puffs out I'm the man and Jesus says well hang on hang on whoa 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 flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you but my father gave you this idea he said and it's on this idea it's on this thought that that I am the Messiah, I'm the Son of God, that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Peter has had some incredible heights of experience with Jesus. Only to have an incredible low. He denied Jesus within earshot of Jesus. The Bible says he went, he went, he ran away and he wept bitterly. He was broken on the inside at the mistake, the betrayal, the turning of the back and can you imagine what that does to a soul of a person that had walked and talked and shared meals and lived in the same room close proximity with the savior himself on one hand to be saying jesus i'll go with you to your very death but to be found here under the gaze of jesus and under the accusation of a little girl betraying running away See, that's the backdrop to this story called the restoration of Peter. Jesus shows up. Peter's gone back to what he used to do. He's forgotten, temporarily at least, what Jesus had done in his life. And this is probably for me one of the most profound and touching moments in all of Scripture. In fact, this is a this is a lesson for us as a growing church, for a team of leaders, for a group of people that are hungry to see God do something in our city. See, in church, we oftentimes talk about the power of God. I have to ask, what does that actually mean? <laughs> Because we've all got a paradigm of what the power of God looks like, don't we? We've got a church background. We've seen the weird, the wonder. If you come from Pentecostal roots like me, Pastor Justin, you, you saw people run around the building, <laughs> quacking like a duck, 
You know, laying on the ground, itching like a... Uh, I, I'm a recovering Pentecostal. I'll, I'll just, I'll give you that. There's certain segments of my history that I've kind of just blocked out, you know what I mean? If I could remove my frontal lobe on a few things, that would be nice, you know. Um, and this is where I've landed when it comes to what I believe the power of God is. I see, I see the power of God manifested here in an incredibly powerful way. My son is 11 years old. My daughter is 10. My little jolly boy is 7. And my beautiful wife, you know, I'm not going to tell you how old she is. I will be murdered and dumped in the burrowed inlet. Is that how you say it? There you go. Um, she's a beautiful 21 years of age. We first moved to America five years ago. We bought everything we owned and a duffel, 10 duffel bags, you know, those plastic ones you get at like the Golo store. It broke open and on the Travelator in the LAX airport, all of her underpants going down the Travelator. I was like, dang, girl, you brought those ones. Yeah. Anyway, they kept on going around. We had to scurry them up all up. Lots of it, too much information. Oh, my, my time is running out. My time is running out. But my family are all dog people and I am most definitely not a dog person. Not a cat person, not a pet person. Sometimes I'm barely a human person. All right, I've been pastoral ministry for too long. And it's nothing for me to come home in the afternoon and see our chocolate brown Labrador. His name is Buddy. He ain't my buddy, but he's Buddy, right, right? And, and, and my kids don't care what state Buddy's in. He could be playing in the backyard, rolling around in mud, his own mess, the stank and the... Gr- I mean, who likes the smell of wet dog? Anybody in here like the smell of... I hate the smell of wet dog. And it's nothing, right? It's nothing at all, nothing at all for, for, my, for my boy to be inside hugging that dog on the ground, like my, my three kids on top of that dog and my little boy like... Kissing the dog on the mouth as the dog licks his mouth. It's just... I'm thinking, dog... What did you do to deserve this much love, <laughs> kindness, affection? You stink. We, I, I feed our dog the cheap dog food. You know what happens when you feed dogs cheap dog food, don't you? It's like feeding them a Taco Bell. They call it Taco Hell or Taco Smell, where I'm from. That's a definition of a cruel and unusual punishment. You eat some Taco Bell, then wind the windows up. That's what my dog smells like. But yet my kid, he's, he'll hug the thing both ends. lavishes his love and his care and to me it's just awkward to me it's awkward you ever had one of those awkward situations I've had plenty of awkward situations like this morning when I drove up the one-way road and the guy was like what are you doing that was an awkward moment for me as my wife said do you know where you're driving I'm like clearly not I'm reminded of another awkward moment where I was introduced as Pastor Barry that was awkward Kobe, you're the man. You're the man. Just want you to know that. How about this for an awkward moment? I, 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 I'm, I'm going to the mall really late. It was, it was my anniversary and I, and I hadn't got anything yet. Boo. Boo. And, uh, and so I, I'm, I'm flying into the car park and just as I've flown into the car park, I see a parking space right there. And I'm, I'm heading for that parking space. All of a sudden, this guy just whips in and dives straight into my parking spot. Oh, that is not happening. Not on my watch. So, of course, I puff up. 
I jump out of the car, I'm fronting on this dude, I'm like, hey. I go up and I'm like, what the heck are you doing, man? And, and, then, and then he goes, oh, hi, Pastor Adam. And, <laughs> you know, hello. Hey, hey. hey, Brother Joe. How you doing today? Hope you're doing well. He's like, he's looking at me like, you're about to beat me up, weren't you, dude? I, I, was, I was. I was about to throw down on that fool. I was about to... My sanctification was going out the window. My salvation was on pause. I was ready to kill. I remember preaching the next day. He's sitting in the second row like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, awkward moments, right? My hair's so short right now because I, I went and saw a, 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 a young guy in my church who's just got his barber's license, right? And so, and if you know that I'm vain, I won't wear glasses. I love my hair. I've got beautiful thick hair. I mean, I mean. Every hairdresser always says, you've got beautiful thick hair. And I'm like, I know. And uh, the only problem is it's going gray. And I'm too proud to use just for men. So anyway. And so anyway, he, he cuts his, I'm like, just give me that, that, you know, that hip new French crop. You know, and I just give me that French crop. Of course, yeah, he crops it right. He crops it like a wounded sheep. He's like, Bang! And like, there's no fade. There's no nothing. And I'm like, heck, no, man. I'm going to Vivid Church next week. Okay. I want to be in a city with cool people. Pastor Chad's the coolest person on planet Earth. How do I have to follow that guy? So I had to go get the haircut fixed. Didn't I? So I'm standing in church the next day. He's in the front flipping row. He's like, mm, you got your hair cut again, did you? Yeah, they notice that. It's just awkward. It's awkward. And humanly speaking, like, what, like, like, well, what's the, what's the human proclivity when we find ourselves in an awkward situation? It's never to go up and address it and say, well, hey, man, look, hey, your haircut truly sucked. I had to get it fixed. Maybe go back to changing tires. I mean, you don't say that to the guy, right? You just go, <laughs> and, you, and you exit stage left, snuggle pull straight out of there. You try and get out of there as quickly as you can. You try to avoid the awkward, uncomfortable moment where I was about to beat up a church member. You try and, you, you do that, but... But that's not Peter's story. Peter's in the boat, denied Jesus, caught a massive haul of fish, thinking this is something similar. I've experienced, I've I've felt this feeling somewhere before. This is a strangely familiar scenario. The grace and the mercy that I'm feeling in this moment is more than just a tingly feeling. Peter at this point had turned his back on God. He's walked away from God. It says that he was stripping for work. You know you've walked away from God when you're stripping for work. Some of you will get that later. Just read the Bible. But like most of us in an awkward situation, we would run from that encounter, but not Peter. Peter puts a cloak on and he dives in the water. And I think to myself, what is it that caused a man to embrace the awkwardness of that moment versus run away like most others? My only thought could be that the love of God, the affection of God was so tangible, so palpable in his memory that it caused him to make the greatest decision of his life. I don't know about you, but when I drop the ball and when I fail and when I sin and when I don't meet the mark, my, my, my natural inclination, my human proclivity is to, is to make distance between me and God, is to kind of try and figure things out on my own or look for some respite or for some comfort in something familiar, something that I used to do. Growing up in the west of Sydney, 
without a real God conscience at all, coming to faith in my teenage years. And I grew up in such a poor part of Sydney that when you were born, you were, you were issued a mullet, a flannelette shirt, a pair of moccasins and a packet of Marlboro Red right up the sleeve, you know what I mean? And you were set for life. You were destined to be nobody if you grew up where I grew. And, and I think to myself, where Jesus picked me up and picked my family up and forgave the wretched and rotten things that I've done and healed the brokenness of my heart over the years and still, still not fully understanding the love and the affection that God has for us. And I want to tell you today, if you hear nothing else of what I say, know this, that God is not an ogre in the sky. It's not a figment of some person's imagination. The Bible is not the world's oldest fictional novel. It's a, it's a love letter. It's, a, it's, it's the old school roadmap for life. It's God's instruction through affection to you. C.S. Lewis says this about affection. He says, affection is responsible for nine-tenths of whatever is solid and durable and happy in our lives. Affection, the word affection, so often misunderstood because of the, appropriate, of the inappropriate way in which it gets dispensed in our culture today. You know, affection is a love that gives warmly, honestly, thoughtfully, generously, with no expectation of reciprocation. The longer I live on this earth, the more I see that our culture is starved of what true affection looks like. And what real affection can do in the life of somebody that's so hungry for significance and affirmation. See, affection, the word, comes from the root Latin word affectio, which means to influence. And I believe that as the church, we're called today not to point out in culture what's wrong but to embrace culture as it is and to show love regardless of how we find it see the Bible says it's not the anger and the justice and the judgment of God that draws it says it's the goodness of God that draws people to repentance and I know because I've lived a bit of life I've got a lot to repent of even today I think if we could learn to be a people that live out this affectionate life that we're generous to a fault, we're giving without thought of any return. We could truly influence the culture in which we live. See, notice the first thing Jesus did when he reinstated Peter was not say, hey, well, I told you so. Told you you're going to deny me. You dirty, rotten sinner. He didn't do any of that. He simply prepared a fire and cooked him breakfast. What did Jesus do? He ministered to the very basic of human needs when it came to Peter. He gave him community and he filled his belly. (laughs) You know, a practical act of affectionate kindness for most people will be a catalyst for lasting change. The thing that changed Peter's whole course life and direction was that moment where Jesus didn't judge but Jesus opened up a conversation I wonder if the church could be so much stronger today if we could be so much more influential today 
Let's use affection to be effectual in our approach to reaching people. But before we can become that, we have to see what Jesus does next. They finish eating. The disciples are filled. And Jesus kind of cuts Peter away from everybody else. Jesus will always get you alone to cement the purpose and the destiny he has for your life. Because we can come together like this and go, man, God's doing something incredible. It'll always be limited unless you have that private, one-on-one, personal relationship with Jesus. Allow Him to peer into your soul and set wrong things right. Jesus looks at Peter and goes, Peter, do you love me more than these? He's like, yeah, of course, Lord, I love you more. What, What were these? Do you love me more than this tradition? Do you love me more than that boat, those fish, these guys? Do you love me more than this community? I'm from the South, man, where, you know, everybody goes to church. Just nobody believes in Jesus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Trump, I'm a Christian. I, I wasn't saluting Trump, okay, in case you're all going to like, I was just saying that's the culture in which I, that's the context in which I minister. They've heard about Jesus. They just haven't appropriated who he is into their lives. It's a social gospel, not a heart gospel. Jesus says two more times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know what? You can hear the tension, the frustration in Peter's voice building. Why? Because Jesus had been affectionate. And now Jesus is addressing the affections of Peter's heart. We all have things in our heart of hearts that we love. And more often than not, we have things in our heart that we love more than Jesus. Which is why Jesus didn't say to Peter, Peter, will you follow me? He'd already said that one time before. He didn't say, Peter, will you lead people for me? He didn't say that. He didn't say, will you give your tithes and your offerings to me? He didn't say, will you go to church, will you serve on a team, will you do all these practical things, and they're great and they're necessary and we shouldn't shrink back from that. But that is not the first and most poignant question that Jesus was asking Peter. See, Jesus is seldom concerned with the extrinsic motivators and behavior patterns of our life. Jesus is not addressing behavior patterns in Peter at this point. Jesus is addressing the intrinsic motivators and affections of Peter's heart. He didn't say, will you lead for me, Peter? Will you be the New Testament senior pastor? Three-piece microfiber suit, hallelujah. He wasn't asking, he was saying, Peter, what do you love and who do you love? I can only work with you if I know that I have your heart. And unfortunately, in our culture today, there is a plethora of things that will subtly try and gravitate and latch onto your heart. Good things, well-meaning things, necessary things, money, career, position, all of those things have a place and are important. Jesus never once threw shade on Peter's profession. He just simply asked the question, do you love me more than it? See, Jesus said he is coming back. And he's coming back to a church without spot or blemish. I think 
Dang, that is a high bar. I didn't use my Clearacel this morning. I've got plenty of blemishes on this 40-year-old face. But he's not talking about it. He's not coming back for a perfect church. But he is coming back for a church that is living with full trust in who he is. There's just no space in our culture today for half-hearted, weak, double-minded, foot-in-both-camp Christians. Guess what? I go home tomorrow and Pastor Justin has to fix all of my heresies. (laughs) And he will because he's sharp. But if I can encourage you with anything today, allow Jesus to speak to the affections of your heart. Proverbs 4. 23 or 24. It says, above all else, guard your heart with all vigilance for it determines the course of your life. We all have something we're believing God for, trusting God for, hoping for in our future. It's not your mind that'll get you there. It may help. But it's your heart that'll get you there. Your heart will always be the seat of your reason belief system and decision making it's distinctly different to your mind your heart is that place where God speaks where the Holy Spirit challenges and the enemy tries to rob so many things that are out for your heart in this culture today we've got to guard our heart with all diligence Make sure that what we love is what He loves. Make sure that we don't love our career more than we love Jesus. Don't love our church more than we love Jesus. Don't love our position, our ministry, our bank account, our relationships. The conveniences we tend to wrap around up more than Jesus. So today is, I've compiled a random bunch of thoughts for you all to consider. I wonder if I could ask you this question today. If I can echo the words of our Saviour. Say, Vivid, do you love me more than these? So Jesus always asks the question. But he also issues a charge. It's not like, hey, we just get to sit around loving Jesus and we just all love Jesus. He's saying, no, no, out of that love for me, I'm going to make you missionally viable. What does that mean? I'm going to send you into parts of this city that no one's willing to go. You're going to have an impact on culture like no one previously has. You study the story of Peter, man. He broke through in a city where there was centuries of religious oppression. And I just wondered today, if we would truly address the affections of our heart and learn to be affectionate people towards others, what God can do in and through us today. You received the word this morning? Can I pray with you? We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church Podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church. 
or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.